0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Well, you know, uh, it's an interesting coincidence that the person with whom I've had this conversation today, Patrick Fortier, is all about working in comfort in the unknown, going to where people <laughs> have never been before which I guess is true of the future for all of us. But it's it's, it's interesting to me because I mean, I'd never met Patrick before we started recording. Uh, He's in Spain, I'm not. And his LinkedIn uh, profile suggested a very interesting person who's interested particularly in what he calls emergent organization development. And I will just editorialize that to emergent personal development as well. But the key word is emergence. And we're gonna talk quite a bit about that. In fact, by the end, I thought, boy, I wanna have another conversation on your behalf as well as my own interest with Patrick because there's an awful lot there for someone who's been working throughout his whole career in this area of emergent change. So this is Patrick Troutier. Well, this, this podcast conversation is definitely global because Patrick Trottier is in Spain and I'm not. <laughs> I'm in good old Connecticut. Uh, and it's taken a bit of time for us to jibe to make sure this, uh, this meeting is happening. It's our first meeting. And I don't think it'll be our last because I'm already quite fascinated and just becoming a little bit acquainted. But uh, Patrick... Uh, is a practitioner with a very big P. He believes, from what I can hear so far, that until you're doing something, uh, you don't really know what you know. And what the something he's been doing along with creating organizational affiliations for people who are interested in change and particularly changing organization development, thinking ideas, material, uh, is what I found when I looked at His posts on LinkedIn, Patrick. Welcome, and how close am I to describing you? You can you can edit it all out right now and tell me something different.
1: Uh, you're right on the button. I, I would just uh, add emergent change, which is quite different than the traditional thinking of change.
0: Let's talk about it. That then, what uh, uh, it is a key word. I know you even have it in your email. Emergent.
1: The difference. Traditionally, we think of change, and I'm trying to say it's very simply because I'm a simple guy. Change is usually seen as uh, moving from A to B Mm -hmm. in OD, and that's been the 20th century thinking from a static A to a static uh, condition of B. Mm -hmm. And they all have uh, great uh, plans and they have great projects and it becomes work and it becomes another part of work and it becomes a part of survival. Here we go again. Well, by the time they may get to be, the world has probably changed to F (laughs) because of our rapid change, our complexity of change, the degrees of change. We've seen the disruptors of change. Um, and so in, in the 21st century, that complexity and the degree and the rapidity of it is going to heighten, yeah. mostly because of technology, because of immigration, because of resources, because of a number of things. Climate change even is going to change organizations completely. Generative norms, expectations. Um things will change at a more
0: rapid pace. And we can toss in a, a global pandemic, which is still going well, on. <laughs> yes. Which has certainly yes. tossed a lot of things up uh, upside yes. down. Yeah. That's right.
1: Those are all, that is a good example of a disruptor. Mm-hmm. And do we learn from disruptors or do we try to hang on to the old status quo and sort of survive those disruptors and then go back to the status quo? Yeah. So that's something that has been a challenge in the thinking of organizations around COVID, as an example.
0: Mm-hmm. What what uh, you're emergent then too? From the way I everything hear everything is that you're you're aware that uh, very aware of, of change. By the way, Peter Vale coined the of term uh, "permanent white water" back in the late '80s, where right. he said in his first book change is changing and now many many decades now later uh, he peter would be somewhat stunned by the rate of change and he would be uh, nodding his head right now listening to you patrick uh so we have uh that feeling that we could go back after it's over whatever it is uh and you're working with yourself and with people all the time and frankly i would love to feel i could go back to some of the ways uh that it was Um, but i'm also intellectually aware that that's fallacy with a big f so with emergent being the big word on our screen right now what do we do if we can't go back
1: well that's an excellent question and uh, (laughs) in a different way of thinking of the human species. Mm-hmm. Uh, you bring up the emergent, the, the law of emergent change, of transformation. Mm-hmm. I probably didn't say that right because I write this down and I can't remember what I write. But here <laughs> it is, and it's very simple, and it goes to that point. When a person, group, or, or organization creates a comfort zone with the unknown greater than the known, then change happens naturally. We start exploring, our curiosity comes up, we ask new questions, we look around the corner, because now we have a comfort zone with the unknown, so we can go there easier. And so change happens within our thinking because that curiosity experimentation, um, different ways of thinking, and, and that starts changing our mindsets by going through that kind of process. So we start, we shift our mindsets and we see things differently. And if we see things differently, we'll create things differently. Uh How we see things is what we create. Mm -hmm. If we stake, if our, our, our comfort zone with the known stays in status, then we will always create the same thing. If we get a greater comfort zone, that's greater than the known, create a comfort zone with the unknown that's greater with the known. We will create new things. We'll see things differently. Our perceptions will change. We take in new information. And I've written about 11 things that are actually part of the brain, which I'll call conduits Mm -hmm. that help us shift our mental framework. And when I talk about mental, it's not just mental as we usually talk about. I'm talking about our uh, emotional and cognitive framework. Yeah. Because that's the whole person. And many times, because we don't think about it much, our emotions are our filters of how we perceive. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times our our emotions actually uh, decide our decision making. But we think it's our cognitive
0: and i'm thinking emotions right now and i'm i'm honestly following you but i'm i'm realizing that if you're going to be shifting one a person or you all of us are going to be shifting to being comfortable with the unknown right intellectually the brain yeah okay yeah i can i can make make that picture in my head right but emotionally I'll be scared as shit. <laughs> yes, but and that's, that's, that's and where it, the comfort zone comes in. That's it. And your word comfort is, to me, rooted very deeply in our uh, way we manage uh, our emotions and manage us, or we manage our emotions. So when you're working with that aspect as a person or with others to help, right. how
1: do we work that comfort? Uh, well, you don't, comfort. you don't manage it first. It's not something to be managed. Like I can put it in that box and that box and that box. No, Mm -hmm. Uh, I call it conscious discipline, awareness of self, because yes, in the beginning, it's just like riding a bike, a bicycle. When you're young, you're going to fall off. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to run into the fence or something. (laughs) So that conscious discipline is yes. Okay. I'm going back there. Okay. I can then choose. I can choose not to go back there because I'm conscious of it. And I can relax myself and move into a consciousness that it's okay to explore the unknown. Ah. And I need to I need to share this. That's natural for humans. And it's natural for babies. This has been proved. It's on my website, the, the research on that. But once we get into parental guidance or parental practices once we get into school Mm -hmm. once we get into work corporate by that time it's wiped out yeah because we need to be managed we need to predict we need to be good soldiers Mm -hmm. we need to step to the process that we know and that makes us secure So that's been wiped out over years of um, traditional practice that puts us into a nice little comfortable box. Yeah. But we've learned that and whatever we've learned can be unlearned and move to another, let's say, more natural part of being human.
0: So it's not so much taking ourselves and making ourselves Different if we were to move into the comfort with uncertainty. Right. It is finding the part of ourself that's always been comfortable with uncertainty. Right. Uh, it's there. It's just been, <laughs> I don't yeah. know, stunned into silence. <laughs> yeah. And learn <laughs> yeah. to play with it again. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's almost, a, I've been around moments like that. I've had a few. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it is a tremendous release. Uh, and of course, there's also the default position <laughs> that makes us kind of snap back.
1: Uh, and that's okay, you know. But maybe
0: we don't snap back exactly like we were before. Maybe well, was, maybe <laughs> not. Incrementally getting ourselves back to our baby state.
1: <laughs> and, and each individual is different. And this brings up work environments, yeah, and work design and organizational design. Mm-hmm. So how does that keep us in that comfort of the known and predictability? Or how does the design of organizations and work and relationships um, manifest the comfort zone to move into the unknown as an organization and explore and be curious and have a, a space to speak and tell stories? Um, How do we design a, a number of things and in the emergent OD platform, I've sort of mapped that out, not in a linear fashion, but certainly starts with practicing and being comfortable with the unknown. But that goes throughout the whole process, and I'll give you an example. Okay, technology. How do we design technology as an open system? rather than a closed system yeah. that gives power to a few. So how, how does the design of information and information display work with the brain so that it manifests a comfort zone with the unknown and starts developing co-creation, self-organization so that it moves from the hierarchy of control to a network of collaborative networks of collaboration. So how do we design technology to manifest that? Well, I've done that. I've done that since the middle 1990s. Since the web became a web. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's more within an organization. And um, uh, as an example, I was working with, in California and San Francisco on a company called Rome Organization company, whatever they were called. And they made telephones and telecommunications at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was working at Charles Schwab and Bank of America. And um, they saw me and they started talking to me. And they, their senior management asked me one simple question. How do we get our people to think, as we do in business, that this is a business and understand the whole organization, how it works together, rather than just doing the task? And I asked them back, uh, well, what helps you? And they said, well, information. Yeah. So I said, well, let's experiment. Let's open the information systems to everybody so they can see finance, they can see marketing, they can see operations, they can see Mm
0: -hmm.
1: whatever. Just the same reports you get. Mm -hmm. What happened is people started thinking differently at a higher level. Well, first thing they did was finance. Everybody wanted to go to finance because they could create their own dashboard. They wanted to see the finance. What are we contributing? Open book,
0: we used to call
1: that. Yeah, an open book.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and it was organic. They they basically want to know what it costs to do this, what, what's it costing the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when they went to work with cross-departmental meetings, they asked bigger questions, but they also started understanding marketing and what they had to go through. Mm -hmm. But they also started to understand where the gaps were with what is marketing, marketing, and what is operations actually putting out in line with product or service. Mm -hmm. So these questions were at a higher level. They were no longer taskmasters. And within six months, the whole culture changed. That's Just because they opened up systems of information.
0: So the senior, in quotes, I know this is the the jargon of the day, the the senior folks who had all of this information and in answer to your question with uh, it's information that does it they had the courage i would guess uh the humility uh to actually open the 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 uh, yeah, so inf- they information line yeah. that 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 was leadership
1: that, yes, and they took a risk, and that's what leadership does. They, took a, they They want to experiment because they asked the question. It was their question. Yeah. We just filled, I just helped them fill in the answers to their own question, and the light bulb went on, the curiosity went on, and they took a risk.
0: Over time, did the, that openness persist? Or yes. Was there a uh some setbacks i assume some setbacks well there's always information
1: especially hr information that you can't divulge oh yeah you know. yeah but this is more of an operational side mm-hmm. uh operational finance and you know uh no uh in fact it grew and it became part of the fabric of how we work together mm-hmm. so yeah there wasn't any drawback to it
0: it must, must have been thrilling for you to see that, that, to see that uh, emerge to use the word we started with. Now I want to ask you, since I'm, I'm just getting acquainted with you too, that that early time must have put some real fire in your belly for wanting to not only do more practice of this sort yourself, but also start sharing your learn, learning your lessons, uh, more widely, at least through talking with other people of like mind. There's going to be a few people who actually like you thought that it could be better to be in a world of uncertainty than to be um, tucked down in the trench of certainty in the fallacy of certainty, by the it's, way. <laughs> it's, it's a good question. I wasn't
1: ready for that because I didn't learn enough. Okay. In fact, in my graduate work, I did seven internships in order to get something under my belt in order to bring value. Mm-hmm. I'm not ignorant enough to know that I know something. Mm-hmm. So at that time, it, it, like 2011, 2000, I started writing. Mm-hmm. So a long time later, I, because I, I I'm a busy guy. I don't have time to sit down, right? In fact, I don't know enough to sit down and write. (laughs) I'm not an academic Mm -hmm. and I'm not a professional writer. Mm -hmm. Um, So, no, at that time, I I didn't even know what to share. I'm learning without knowing I'm learning. Uh Uh Aha. And that was fine with me because I was moving into the unknown. Mm -hmm. And but it worked, and I started forming a pattern of OD that was my practice, and and I wasn't out there to flout it or sell it or market it. No, I just wanted to make a difference and learn from my clients. That were and at that time during the 90s, uh, there was a lot of experimentation going on. Yeah, it's different now. Yeah. And also I didn't write anything to think it's the panacea of anything or the answer, you know, somebody writes a book and everybody jumps on it mm-hmm. and then it changes. Mm-hmm. That's not my style. Mm-hmm.
0: So what are you are looking at then? Because you are learning in a unique way, personally you're learning, but also you're learning what it's like when people are willing to be um, uncertain and and actually relish it and love what they're seeing so you there's something there that we would like to know we you know we who are always looking for the next patrick protier who's going to say hey guys take a look over here or have you thought of this or pointing out and i suspect that when and I noticed on LinkedIn that you're developing kind of a, a conversation, a network of conversation, that that's something you're doing.
1: A network of conversation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm working basically, I was invited into uh, Dr. Justin uh, in Zimbabwe of the Center for Organizational and Leadership Development, COLD. hmm mm-hmm and that gave me a platform they want to bring my work into africa because they've been through so much and they've talked to so many people and they've been very very delicate in who they and what they want they want to see something different because yeah. they know they know the difference uh, so i and that was a year and a half ago, and I've been very honored by doing that. So it gave me a platform to speak and share. And the thing is, I don't have the answers. I don't even have all the questions because mm-hmm. the questions keep changing. Mm-hmm. So as and I, and I hope uh, long before I'm gone, this is continually developed with new ideas. And it practices what it is, and that is emergence itself. Yep. Yep. So hopefully, hopefully, um, as everybody does, bring something to the world and that can expand and live. And I talk a lot about see how things are connected. I talk a lot about living cultures and living visions, not a future vision because the future is not here. But how do we live our culture now? How do we live the vision now? Because that's all we have is now. So I stopped doing all this future stuff 30, 30 25, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, the normal mission, I don't do missions anymore. Either. Vision, mission, yeah. Yeah, future vision, fortune, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. I've had uh, executives take the plaques off the wall, you know, those nice little cute statements of our values mm-hmm. and our mission and throw them in the garbage. Uh, because uh, unless they're doing it, it's a waste of time. Because I, I noticed that employees would come up and look at it, read it. That's not, that's, that's not my experience. Right. And so I've got them to very simply, <laughs> we're getting into culture now. Mm-hmm. Very simply, culture is what people experience day to day of which norms will form. Mm -hmm. If you want to change it, it's really simple. Don't make it a project. Just design your organization to give new experiences and new norms will form. In fact, forget the leaders. People all over the organization will form the organization themselves. Mm -hmm. And new norms will form. Because if you've ever studied the informal organization that's really where the action is that's sure. really where reality is that's where people co-develop yeah. without the hierarchy and that's yeah, how yeah. work really gets done
0: i think the the folks who work in the titled positions who understand and respect and value that yeah. would be happy to hear you say it because they The notion of the informal organization being the enemy of the formal is a very very bad idea that's been around in various forms. And indeed, the organizations that seem to be really rocking and rolling in change uh, don't really make a lot of distinction any longer between hierarchy and informal. But they do have one challenge, big challenge, and that is to have people working with them who are up to it, you know? So we've got a, a global workforce and a lot of people who've been convinced through that parental schooling process that they're, the way that they're gonna make a living in life is to do what they're told. Yeah. And at the same time, we need an organizational transfer, uh, an organizational revolution, really, of people for people to come in and think, and feel, and explore, and talk with each other in all kinds of ways. That Good conversation. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so I'm looking at it in part as someone who's been p- in quotes preparing people for for the world. You know, throughout my Dude. career in teaching Good. organizational leadership and change, but I have never felt satisfied that we're, we can we're, that we've sent out what Peter Vale called a superb learner. And that's where Peter and I really jive most. We believe that any kinds of formal instruction, including training, including the way a book is written, which, right. which, which I did with Peter, is we want to be sure that the person who is there in that presence, in that moment, uh, is gaining learning acumen, learning uh, love, if you will. Uh, that uh, hey, I never knew that before. I never thought of that before. I never right. saw that before. To me, that's the kind of emergent learner too. If we have yes, emergent, emergent learning organization learning. and emergent yeah. learner together, hey, we could start a hell of a company. That's right.
1: <laughs> and in, in, in addition to what you're saying, I in the, in the platform, uh, self agency is critical. Mm-hmm. That people have a different experience that manifests that they do have influence. They do have a voice and a lot when in my work, in my approach, people that sat back and basically have never had a voice and they like doing a task. Eventually they come around, they start looking like something's different here and it's real. And and they go, what's going on? They start talking in the hallways, oh. And, and and some of their naturalists starts coming out, that curiosity, yeah, what's going on? This has to, this has to do with the, the whole change of concept of leaders and leadership. Like what's going on with leadership? How many billions have been spent for 100 years, 200 years on leaders? Where's the leaders? I've met five leaders in all of them I've ever met. I mean, real leaders. And you know what? They're real people. Mm-hmm. They don't have status, they don't have position, they listen, they have conversations, they guide, and they say, make it so. Yeah. Now, you can't do that uh, in isolation. People have to have the information, they have to have the resources, but they have to have the ability to get the resources themselves. It's amazing what people do outside of work, isn't it? Oh they're yeah. Families, night and day, coaches, they have committees, yeah. they're on social, they're on city committee. You know, these are able people. Yeah. But when they walk in a the door, yeah. they put on that hat Yeah. and they get in their box. Yeah, and and same talk- with leaders. Leaders are in a box too. Yeah. In fact, we talk and the, traditionally they talk about uh, play engagement. Mm-hmm. I talk about leadership engagement to get back into the organization and get around and shake some hands and have talks. Um, David Packard taught me that when I was doing an internship in uh, Palo Alto of, uh, uh, way back in uh, my graduate school. And I did something for Hewlett Packard, which was the reason why I wasn't even there. We were there to develop a management leadership thing way back in the early, late 70s, early 80s. But this was about um, some of their best engineers, in order to advance, had to go into management. Yeah. So I brought up this concept of parallel laddering, of which if uh, an engineer took on certain lead roles mm-hmm. or mentoring roles or other roles, then that would level off to man, uh, the management that mm-hmm. they were having problems with losing their engineers. Oh yeah. Cause they didn't want to go into management and they couldn't pay. And we developed this program yeah. and the, you know, the retention went up and David came and talked, uh, said hello to me. You heard about me? Sure, I was just a student and an intern. Shook sure hands and I said, I, I just want an hour of your time. I just wanted to talk to you. <laughs> and he just gave me so much insight and in how he, leadership for him. And that was worth a couple of semesters.
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I, I can only imagine how, uh, uh, how, Hopeful that made you feel that you were on the right thought track, if you will.
1: Yeah, but tested many times. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, all good things meet two things. One is failure, which is what I call scars. And I don't have scars, but I learned from them. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs>
1: but I'm gonna keep going.
0: And I am I think I, that hits a lot of people. No, I'm watching the clock, but I think that that's the that point you just made is important for everyone who listens to this podcast. I don't know where I'm going. And let's go back to the beginning of the conversation when right. you said, let's be comfortable yeah. with not knowing where we're going next. Right. What does that do to you, Patrick? Not knowing where you're going, but you're going to keep going anyway. What's that feeling like?
1: To me, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I like going there and I've learned to like going there. <laughs> I just like it because I'm me. And if I pass, fail, I, I don't believe in failure because we only fail if we don't learn. It's an opportunity. That's right. All my foibles. Or my best teachers. Yeah, <laughs> I'm serious about that. So oh. they're friends of mine. All my faults are my friends. Because they're my best teachers and I learned from them. How can you get better than that? You know? Yeah. So well. I've just accepted it. And acceptance is powerful.
0: What would you like this last minute or two uh, to capture in our conversation about yourself, about the work? about me about the sun whatever what would you i'll give you a whole minute to to add another a very good thought which you've been doing all along
1: well i think it's the for folks that are just starting out on their od journey Mm -hmm. and uh, believe in yourself look around the corner don't choose somebody else's panacea that they're trying to market to you find your own way work with your clients don't think you need to have the answers your clients will find the answers ask good questions open up doors to explore and um, believe in your journey and your journey will take you to a place that will satisfy you will give you a lot of life adventures and that's what it's about that's life you know and an OD isn't a straight line. <laughs> no. There's an old OD saying, if you know the second step, you're not doing OD. <laughs> I'll,
0: I'm going to have to cap it off on that, but I can't um, thank you enough. This, this, it's a delight to meet you.
1: Well, David, okay. you're very nice and, and you are magnificent. Well, it, back I, at I, I Hopefully it's, a, it's something that brings some value to someone. It sure will.
0: That was Patrick Trottier, founder of the Institute of Emergent Organizational Development and Emergent Change. And you can find his writings and more on emergentchange.net. Thanks for listening to the practice podcasts, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, Listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to InactionResearch.com/podcasts-page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to InactionResearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.